All right. So I knew I forgot something. I was like, where is my announcement? And there it is. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, in our series on heaven, you're going to notice something that, uh, that Jesus does, because what we have is a revelation of heaven from Christ through John. That's what we get in the book of Revelation. And, and you're going to notice that as Jesus talks about heaven, he talks about in terms of restoration. Uh, and not recreation, but restoration. And it's huge for us to understand this. Uh, recreation would be God designing something brand new, something unlike anything that has existed before, right? And that's typically what we in the Western world think of when we think of heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, something brand new, something has never existed before, something that, right? That's our idea. And that comes from really our Western thought of thinking of how time works. We think of time as a very linear thing. It just has, a be, you know, really no beginning, but it's a beginning and it just kind of stretches out like a big, long arrow, right? But Jan uh, did a great job this morning reminding us that our, our faith, our heritage, doesn't come from Western thought, more of a Middle Eastern type of thinking, that the Jewish thought of time was not linear and straight, but cyclical. And the idea is obviously from the cycles of the moons and the stars and things like this, that everything that will be is something that once was. There is this rebirth in life, right? Uh, and you will notice that this idea of coming back to what once was or what it, what it ought to be is kind of a theme in Christianity. I think about when you are saved. You're a new creation, but how are you a new creation? You're born again, right? And so we see this same kind of theme when we come to heaven. Uh, it, it, you'll find this thing. God's saying, I'm making all things new. And how is he doing it? He's not creating a new something different. He's creating something new that also existed before. A new heaven, a new earth. And for us to really understand and to appreciate what God is telling us, what is going to be in our future, we have to understand where we've come from. What was his design and intent to begin with? Right? And so when we have that frame, that mindset, it helps us really gain this amazing amount of hope. Because a lot of times people have really bad concepts about heaven and what's coming next and, and almost things that we would dread. Um, I remember when I was, what, five? And I was at the at Catholic church at the time. And I was, I was sitting there and I was listening to the priest and he was talking about heaven. And he said something that really troubled me. And he said when we go there, we're all going to have harps and we're going to play them all the time. There's a, I mean, really? I don't want that. Right? Is that, was I designed to be a music box forever? I just couldn't think of anything worse. Now, obviously, he said that we would be changed, so somehow we would like that. But to me, I was like, that is not something that really, really draws me. But we understand that God designed us in such a way that the things that we love here are going to be perfected. The things that we enjoy here are going to be perfected. The things that we hate will be removed, right? The brokenness will be gone. The good will be restored. There is a restoration that takes place in heaven, right? That God is bringing about that, that gives us hope for what comes next. It, it's a phenomenally wonderful thing. So we'll get into the text on that. So, so to understand the future, we have to understand the past. And so let's get into the, the text today. Revelation 21, 1 through 8 is what we'll be reading from. And this is what it says. Uh, it says, this is John. He's viewing this. Uh, God took him up in the spirit 
revealed to him all things in context. These are the last two chapters in the Bible. And uh, up till this point, John had been seeing all of human history from actually before human history. He saw the fall of Satan uh, in, in Revelation. You see the rise of all the nations and their fall. You see the coming of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the coming again of Christ from a heavenly perspective. You see God's judgment on earth as well as his blessings and his presence there. And all of human history has been wrapped up in Revelation Okay, from this incredible heavenly perspective and get to the very end. Right? And that's where we're at. And this is what John sees after all of human history. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. But he who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts... The idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All right, so let's get into some couple things that I want to point out to you. This is my favorite one. I'll start with my favorite first because it comes in the text first. There's no longer going to be separation between people and nations. This is my favorite point, but this is one that when I was studying this over a couple months ago and as I was getting into this, this was something that just knocked my socks off. You ever read that? There will no longer be any sea. And that, you're kind of like, what? Why? You, know, you read in Revelation, you're like, well, that's an odd detail to put in there. Why no sea? Does God not like boats? Now, think about what the sea is. And when did it come? All right? The sea is what separates us. All right? The sea is what takes people and moves us apart all over the place. Right? And, and it keeps us from one another. And we developed our own cultures and weighing, weird ways of thinking and living and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, then we become identity against each other. And we find out in, in, in Revelation earlier on that in Christ, right, there are people from every nation, language, tribe, all throughout time that are going to be before God. He's unifying us before him, right? He does that for us in a very awesome way, even now, that those of us who are in Christ, if you go to Zimbabwe and you go to a church, you're going to be amongst brothers and sisters and family. There's a culture that God is already doing now that is changing uh, the landscape. But God will ultimately do it not just from a philosophical, religious, emotional way. He's actually going to restore the world to what it once was. There's no sea, no separation. 
And we think about the many problems that we have in life and the troubles that we have when we are separated from other people. When there's hatred begins to exist and differences and all that kind of stuff that, that we put into the wrong way. God's removing that. But here's the cool part about the sea, or being the removing of it. When did the sea happen? The flood. You all see Noah's flood, Noah's Ark movie? Okay, it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> sorry that you saw that. It was not the biblical narrative. But, but here's what we know. I mean, you can even look. There was this thing that, you know, uh, Jal just put together, so the Pangea, right? The psh, everything together. And you actually find in Scripture what happened. The earth actually got divided. And there's two places in Scripture that talks about that could have happened. Uh, one is the flood. The second was right after Tower of Babel. It says the world was divided. People were alive back then. But you think about what the sea is. Judgment. It is a consequence of our judgment. Right? The separation that God had to put on people. In fact, we see at the Tower of Babel that God said, I can't let them work together like this, have the same language. Why? Because we use our collective power and might to try to dethrone God. That's We put everything into building a tower so we could knock God off his throne. It's like humanity is falling into the same sin that led to the flood to begin with. Right? Uh, we are... By our nature, self-centered and corrupt. It's hard to... We're also very good because of the imprint of God in us, but we're very much self-centered and corrupt. We want to make humanity God. And He separates us. Right? And has to do that so we can be humble, so we can find Him, so we can find real life and not buy into this lie that somehow we're going to be gods ourselves. The sea is judgment. The sea was there as an echo of our fallenness. The sea is there as a necessity because of our wickedness. If God takes away the sea, what does that mean? He makes all things new, including us, our very nature, our very character, right? The nature of humanity, not just the nature of you will be changed. There's not going to be need to separate. There is no reason to remember the judgment. It will be taken away. We will be unified. You know, I think of uh, so many movies and songs and things like this for those who write about this utopian world where everybody just gets along, right? And I love those because I don't particularly like war. I don't like fights. I don't particularly, I don't like conflict, right? And I love those, those movies, and yet they always seem so impossible, have you ever seen Star Wars or Star, Star Trek? Have you ever seen Star Trek, you know, where everybody wears funny suits and they fly off into space and they do great things because humanity is united? Yeah, it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back, right? It's just not going to happen because we're too, we're too wicked, right? We're too self-centered. There's too much difference. We, true, we say it's my way that I'm going to impose upon you. But when God comes back, when he brings a new heaven, he brings us together into his culture, right? His identity, His character in us. And we will be united in Him. And there will be peace. And can you imagine a world where we don't have to spend billions and trillions of dollars on weapons to protect ourselves from others? Can you imagine how much science would have progressed if we didn't have to spend that much? Or schools or people? I mean, just life in general. If, if we didn't have to, to spend so much to defend and protect ourselves, to separate from others? There's not going to be a sea because we'll be united in Christ. That is powerful. We'll talk about why that matters in a minute. But let's talk about the next thing. It says 
there will no longer be a separation between flesh and spirit. It says, I saw the holy city, right? It's a physical, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, of God. Not, not I think it's important, out of heaven from God. This is not the heavens, this is not the, the, the stratosphere, the cosmos that it comes out of. It's not like it's coming out of, you know, deep space. It's coming out of the, the, the heaven of God, where, where God's spirit dwells, because God is spirit, right? So you have this very physical place coming out of, of heaven, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Think about most of religion is a uh, it's an effort that we try to bridge that gap between spirit and flesh. Right. What we see, what we experience and all this. But we, we long to know God and spirit. Right. We long to see those things and experience them. And yet we also love very much the creation that God made us. Right. And sometimes when we think of heaven we think of it as just some spiritual place and and by and by we're going to go we transported there and and all of this physical stuff that we have is going to be lost no mountains to climb right no no steaks to eat well maybe i don't know if we'll be vegetarians in heaven or not but maybe it'd be a steak tree uh we think about the things in this world that god gave us very beautiful wonderful things and we think well we'll lose that obviously heaven will be good enough we think that we won't miss them but Reality is that Jesus was raised again in the flesh. Right? And he said, you're going to have a body like mine. Which is phenomenal. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. He was able to interact both with the spirit world and the physical world simultaneously. There was no separation, no difference. It was much like when Adam and Eve walked in the garden and God came and walked amongst them. Right? They're able to interact with both. There's not this, this dualism that we all struggle with day in and day out, right? Where, where we try to live by the Spirit and understand God and live by this faith, but also love this world. It's, it's no longer going to be this choice that we have, this, this tribulation. Like John talks about, you know, you don't love the world. If you love the world, it says the love of the Father isn't in you. You're not supposed to become attached to this place because it's temporary. Guess what? The new earth is not temporary. And it will be godly and perfect. There will be things for us to do that we will enjoy. Right? We won't lose the wonderful aspects of our creation. God created us out of this creation. Right? Out of the dust of the ground. He said He formed us. He breathed His Spirit. God didn't make a mistake. He's bringing things back to the way that they were supposed to be. We shall live in perfection. But with the added benefit, we will also live and see heaven where God is. Right? There's going to be this union that we get that uh, I just can't even imagine how incredible, how wonderful that is. But that's coming. It's this wonderful thing. Flesh and spirit will join together. I, I, I think of 1 Corinthians 13, 12, uh, when, I, when I was reading this, it says, uh, uh, Paul writes, he says, But now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now in part, then... I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Right? When we talk about why, because what's wrong with faith and hope? Nothing, except for faith and hope will, will at that point, there will be no reason for it. Right? I won't have to trust in what I can't see because I'll be able to see it. I won't have to hope for something great coming because it will have come. 
right? There is a time when those will match, but love will exist forever. And that's why it's the greatest. But we see now through clouded things, sometimes God comes into our lives and we experience him. But then we're going to be able to experience God fully. It's phenomenal. Not only that, he says uh, there's going to be no separation between us and God. Now, this is my favorite of all. This is the one above anything else. (laughs) That's just Amazing. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And it talks about the benefits of that. He wipes away every tear from our eyes, right? It's not like you're going to forget everything, all your troubles, right? God is going to show you how he makes them right, right? It's not like you go to heaven and become stupid. You're going to remember who you are, right? You remember everything that brought you there. In fact, I think we're going to remember why we fell so that way. It remember, we'll remember God's grace and his love for us. What a shame would it be if we forgot the sacrifice and the redemption of Christ. But here's the thing. I love that. In the loud voice. God didn't whisper this when he brings new heaven and new earth. It's for everyone to hear. The dwelling of God is with men. God, at some point, when he comes back, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in, within us. But then we shall see him face to face, right? God himself will have purified us so much, right? That we're able to dwell right alongside him. Our hearts will beat in tandem with his. Our hopes, our desires, our longings will match with his. Our character will be of such that we'll be able to stand in the presence of God and be known fully and enjoy him fully, Right? There's never going to be a time, like in this world, there are times when things are dark and you wonder, where is God? And he's very much there, but we don't feel him or sense him or see him. And we doubt. There will be no doubt. God will dwell with us. And if you've ever watched um, uh, the, the, the series of Chronicles of Narnia, have you seen those? The movies or read the books? I couldn't do the books. Uh, but in the movies... They end, and the very first one, Aslan shows up, right? And, like, wipes out the bad guys. And you're like, yeah, Aslan. And then he leaves. And what happens? They have a sequel. And they come back, and everything's falling apart again. You're like, Aslan, if you would just stay. If you would just stay. Because then the whole second movie is all this turmoil because he's gone, and there's all this trouble. Right? And wickedness rises to the surface again. You're like, Aslan, just stick around, man. God's coming back and he's staying. He lives with us. There'll be no time for wickedness to ever take root. There is no sequel to heaven. Right? God will live with us. Now, uh, I think uh, we'll get to this next part of it. It says, then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I like that. Just to do it. This is going to happen, right? This is the very word of God. It has to be done. It is done, right? It is done. God, who sees the beginning and the end and all things, said, this is, it's not like this might happen. It's a contingency. If you guys are good enough, I'll come back. Or so long as I don't find something better to do or find a different hobby. I will, right? God says, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm beginning the end. Now, get this. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost to the spring of water of life. Remember, all things new, restoration. In the Garden of Eden, when God made us, what do we have access to? 
the tree of life. Right? The tree of life. And Adam and Eve, instead of that tree, they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in much, in a very similar way, did make us very similar to God, right? We were able to then make up our own standards of right and wrong. The problem is we're not God, so our ideas of right and wrong don't make something right or wrong, right? That's the difference between us and God. God actually, what he says is right, is right. (laughs) And hence our problems. But when we did that, and God saw that we were now corrupted in our ability to judge right from wrong, right? We created our own standards that sometimes disagree with him and all this pain and suffering. Because really, most problems in this world aren't between two people who think they're evil, right? You, you don't have, you know, like the Sith and the Jedi, you know, clear good and bad. Most things in life, if you have two people, one person says, I'm right, you're wrong. And the other person says the same thing. And they view each other as wicked, Right? And and because of that, we do horrible things to each other in the name of righteousness, in the name of being right. It's the nature of sin. It's how we destroy each other, right? God changes from the inside out, right? But but he he knew we would do that. And can you imagine how awful it would be if right now we had access to the tree of life? Because you know what we would do? Is we would turn it into a power struggle. Because we're the more righteous people, so we should have access to the tree of life, and they shouldn't, right? And we'd use it as a way of beating people down or into submission to our standard of what we want to live by, right? And then those who had power and wealth and, and whatever or, or influence, they would have access to the tree of life, while the rest of everybody else would be left out in the cold, left to die. That's just what we would do. You know it's true. Or we would monetize it in some way to make... You know, we would do something to corrupt this and would turn to something so beautiful as a tree of life into something as a weapon of hatred and wickedness. And the people that would control it as a weapon would control, would would grow more and more corrupt in their spirit, right? That's what happens. God saw our nature and said, you know what? No. And so he separated us from having access to that tree in the garden. In fact, it says he put a sword there that flashed every which way, right? I, I, just, I would love to have seen that because, you know, you can't juke it, right? You can't, you can't get around it. It was blocking our access. And then the flood came, and of course we didn't need it anymore because the tree was washed away. But you have no access to the tree of life. And so we've been trying to, to build our own trees of life through medicine and health and diets and all kinds of things forever. And we haven't cracked that code yet, how to live forever, because God won't let us, right? It's okay for us to not have access to the tree of life now, because we, don't, we can't handle it. But there will come a time when we'll have free access to the springs of life. It talks about heaven coming down, and there's actually rows of the tree of life that we'll have access to. It says, you know, we'll be able to eat from its fruit. We'll have access to the waters of life. Free access. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost. It's not like God is going to use this as a way of, 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 you know, of as a hardship. We're going to be there. You will live forever. You have access to life forever. And it says the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. I even know what that means, but it's awesome. But we will have access again to what was lost in Eden. And he doesn't just bring one tree. He brings twelve. Does that talk about the new heaven, how it brings back but improves? <laughs> right? phenomenal. This is no separation between us and God. No separation between us and life. Right? 
it's phenomenal. And, and it's a sure thing. He said, it is done. But here's, here's the, the, the one thing that we find separation in. Because unless you see this, this, this rebuilding, how God is re- reconciling the world, He's making all things new, and He's removing all the separations that our sin caused. But there is one separation that will exist that doesn't exist today. There's going to be an eternal separation between the reconciled and the irreconcilable. It says, He who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolatry of all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Right? We don't like to talk about hell, but you really can't talk about heaven without talking about hell. Right? It exists too. And it is second death. And it's where we all should go, except for, as we learned today, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? This is going to be eternal separation. Now think about, we're talking about all things new. What was the very first act of creation? God said, let there be light. Right? And then what did he do with that light? First thing, separates it from darkness. Now, when you separate light from darkness, now we know that darkness is the absence of light, so God was able to separate. There is no gray in God. Right? He separates it. You can't, you can't blend light and darkness, no matter how much you try, because if light shows up, it fills the void. Right? It's impossible to. But when humanity came in, in a very ethical, spiritual way, we blended light and dark. You are a blend of light and dark. You are the image of God. You have the imprint of God. You were created good like Him, and yet you have a corrupt nature. Right? We are all sinful. Right? We are, God deemed us worthy to be saved. Right? We're, we're, there's good in there because we're made in His image, which can't be corrupted. And yet, our spirit has been horribly corrupted. You are walking gray. Right? And this world is a very gray place, isn't it? We're always wondering what's the right thing to do? What's good? Right? And we all mess it up with our own ideas, which are all wacky about what's light and what's dark. And we mix it up, and this world is just a gray place. Yeah, there's lots of good, and there's lots of bad. Right? But God is going to remove that. The first order and the recreation, or the, the reconciliation that God is doing, is to once again separate light from dark. And never shall the two come to contact again. In fact, you talk about it, it says, you know, there's not even night there because you don't even need the sun, which goes away, right? There's just the the God is there always and his light shines always. There's not going to be wickedness there. Now, why the irreconcilable? God gives us a choice, right? It doesn't mean that those that just can't be saved, it's those that won't be saved, right? Right? When we come to Christ, it's very important to realize that you know, we express our faith in some very important ways that God wants us to because we step out of darkness and into light. And though we are still, I still struggle with gray in this life, I have fundamentally changed from my core out. That's what happens to a believer. 
And it begins with belief, understanding who God is. And then it says you confess him, right? You stand with him. You said he is light, right? I want to stand with him. And then it says that we, we repent, which means we obey him, which means that his standard of right and wrong, his identities uh, or his, his saying, this is what light and this is what dark is, we agree with, even if we don't understand it. Even if we don't fully agree with it, we say we'll obey it, right? We will do what you say is right. We're going to walk in the, your light, <laughs> the light of your word, right? Not according to my understanding. That's, that's repentance, obeying God. Then it says that we are baptized. And here's the amazing thing in baptism. It says you die to your old self. That dark person you put to death. And you are raised again, born again, new spirit. You are a child of the light. You are fundamentally changed from the inside out and also from the outside in. From the outside in through confession and repentance. From the inside out from baptism, from being reborn. And then you begin to learn how to walk in the light through what he says, discipleship. It's a fundamental change that happens to us. We are children of light. Now, that is to be reconciled to God. But there are, that's a choice. God doesn't force this upon you. He says that we must choose to be reconciled. He's done all the work. He's making the new heavens, the new earth. He's making all things new. He will make us new. But we have to choose it. And we talked about how we did that. You come to him by faith. You are saved by God's grace through faith. And you, you express that faith how God wants us to so you can become a child of light. Now, how does all this matter? Well, we think about the separations that don't exist. And I'll ask the worship team to come up as I wrap this up. You think about the, the, uh, the separation between us and men. Other people, Right? Other, other folks, we recognize that the separations that we see are temporary, right? But we are citizens of a new way, a new kingdom, right? A new creation, a new order, right? To begin with, we have to look inside our heart and say, does our, does our nature match our real nature, right? And, and how does it matter? Well, there is no room in the body of Christ for us to keep others at an arm's distance, Right? Based upon their culture, their language, or distance. Right? We recognize that the body of Christ is for all people. But they have to choose Him. Right? So we begin with that. Why does it matter? It begins by changing how we identify ourselves. You might think of yourself as first an American. Or a man or a woman. How you would identify yourself or as rich or poor or as Republican or Democrat or however you want to separate yourself. But God says, no, this is how I identify you. You are my child. You are a child of light. And everyone who falls into that race is together. That's why it matters. And everyone who doesn't fall into that race. Well, there is where the difference lies. And he says, that's who we should reach to. And that's who we need to love and to share this amazing this amazing gospel, this good news, which is why we're memorizing it. Why does it matter that, that there's not going to be a difference between flesh and spirit? Because sometimes we, we, we see this fleshly world so much that we think that the spirit is somehow different, distant, maybe philosophical. No, it exists. God is real. The spirit is real. <laughs> Very real. This is real as this fleshly world is. And we recognize that even though we don't see both, we exist in both. You are a spiritual being with a fleshly body. Right. And you will be a spiritual being with a fleshly body in the world to come. And so it matters very much how we treat both. 
And so it, it matters how we see others, how we, how we handle this world, how we understand it, but also how we interacting with the Spirit. Are you growing in both? Because there's a time that they will be reconciled. Why does it matter there's no separation between us and God? Because the longing of men and the foundation of all religion is based upon trying to bridge that gap, and that gap has been bridged. That's why it's such great news. God, His Holy Spirit, can dwell inside of you today. And there's no longer this longing and separation, but there's going to come a time for those of us in Christ that we long for so much that the Spirit that whispers in our souls will someday stand beside us as well. Right? He is real and He is powerful, and there's a time that that there will be absolutely no separation whatsoever. The longing of all of our hopes and dreams will come to fruition, and we can have a foretaste of that today. And why does it matter there's going to be a separation forever between the irreconcilable and the reconciled? Because we live in a gray world, and God is going to separate the light and the dark. And there is still time now to reach to the dark. That's why it matters. So today, what next steps? I want you to take out your, your memory for your, <laughs> your little green card. We can't do nothing. What do we do? Well, I have some suggestions. One is I would suggest that you memorize Romans 5.8 this week. Why? Because we need to be able to express this, this truth to those who don't understand it. We have to know this. If you, can, if you want to commit to that, man, let us know. We'll be praying for you this week as you do that. How about uh, attend the next four weeks of Why Heaven Matters? Maybe this concept of what heaven is, something you need to hear so you can, you can, one, live that hope, but also express it to others. We'd love to have you here for that. Also, uh, maybe it's read the book of Revelation in the next four weeks. You know, that's like, a, that's like a, a chapter a day. It's a little bit less than a chapter a day. If you start reading a chapter a day of Revelation, by the time we're done with our series, you'll have read all of Revelation. You have a great concept of not just what heaven's going to be, but what happened in this world that led us up to heaven and why it's so amazing. Maybe, it's, maybe you're new with us today. And you want to attend the newcomer's reception. You want to be part of, 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 a, of a community, a family of light. And maybe you wonder, what is this church all about? I'd like to meet with you. It's about an hour and a half or so, but we could talk to you about those things. If you're new with us, let us know you'd like to come. Maybe there's something else that you've heard today that the Spirit is convicting upon you. You want to change. Maybe it's coming to know Jesus for the first time. Or if there's any of those other next steps, let us know uh, what your next step are going to be. We will be praying for you this week. As you take those, please drop these into the offering basket as they come around. I'm going to pray, and then Ryan will be praying for the offering before we take that. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of hope and life and love and peace. And you are a God that is eternal in your nature in so many ways. Not just in your existence, but in your power and in your love and in your wisdom, Father. That you are good in all things in all ways. And Father, we confess the truth that we've known forever. That, that we have fallen short. And we can't handle the life that you have given us. At least not in any uh, significant good way. We are creatures of gray, but you are turning us into creatures of light. So, Father God, help us to live in that light. Father God, if there is hatred in us, if there is that's for the wrong things, that you would remove that. And we uh, reveal it in our spirit. Shine your light into the dark places and reveal it. And help us to let go of the separation and the judgments, uh, Father, that, uh, uh, that keep us from the people that you love. And Father, if there is... Uh, if there is a doubt within us, Lord, that uh, your spirit exists and, and that the heavenly things are there, Father, answer that doubt just like you did with, with Thomas, Lord. 
uh, we are not afraid of the questions, Father, because we know that you have truth, so reveal truth. And Father, if there are sins and if there is guilt or shame or whatever that would keep us from you, then Father, we, we ask that you would take that because we know that you do. Uh, remove the barriers between us and you and come and fill our lives this morning in, in this church as well, Father. And Lord, I pray that you give us a passion for the lost. Father, because we know that someday you will come and separate the light from the dark. And we thank you that we stand in the light, but it's not good enough just for us to be here. You called us to reach into the dark and to proclaim the good news of Christ. So give us the, the courage to do that. Give us the opportunity to do that as your children, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.